Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The people of Ukraine are enduring strong and they will fight, but they are outgunned. I would have liked to have seen the early imposition of sanctions. I think Vladimir Putin's heard enough tough talk. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top name. Not only is the United States the biggest consumer economies in the world, it's also the biggest consumer of gasoline in particular. Mitigations for a pandemic is really on a continuum. The more transmission and the more risk, the more layers of mitigation we need. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's on in Ukraine, where Russia is on the move tonight. The Blinken-Lavrov meeting is off. As the West announces new sanctions against Moscow today, welcome to the fastest hour in politics, an historic day in geopolitics as the Biden administration follows European allies in rolling out economic penalties after declaring, yes, the start of a Russian invasion. We'll get details on American sanctions coming up from Bloomberg Congress reporter Dan Flatley. Now that we have details an analysis from Stephen Mull, former U.S. ambassador to Poland, lead coordinator of the Iran nuclear deal, and now vice provost, Global Affairs, University of Virginia. Later, our conversation with former Alaska Senator Mark Begich on the call for heavier sanctions and the impact this could all have on the energy sector. Our panel today, we're bloomed by, joined by, I should say, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano, along today with Boyd Matheson, back with us, former chief of staff to Senator Mike Lee. The Biden administration making it clear today, yes, this is an invasion. Yes, there will be consequences. This after Vladimir Putin made clear that Russia would formally acknowledge the Russian-backed separatist areas in the Donbass region of Ukraine, now household names Donetsk and Luhansk, and move to put troops in those areas as well, as Russia says, to keep the peace, not so much from the view of the West. We heard from our allies first this morning, including German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, went so far as to say the words Nord Stream 2 out loud, no certification, no operation. We then heard this afternoon from President Biden. He addressed the nation from the East Room of the White House. Here he is. To put it simply, Russia just announced that it is carving out a big chunk of Ukraine. Last night, Putin authorized Russian forces to deploy into the region, these regions. Today, he asserted that these regions are actually extend deeper than the two areas he recognized, claiming large areas currently under the jurisdiction of the Ukraine government. He's setting up a rationale to take more territory by force, in my view. So there will be more, according to President Biden. And after senior administration officials hesitated to use the word invasion when talking with reporters last night, sending cable news into a froth, President Biden did not mince words on that today. Here he is again today at the White House. This is the beginning of a Russian invasion of Ukraine, as he indicated and asked permission to be able to do from his Duma. So let's begin to, uh, so I'm going to begin to impose sanctions in response far beyond the steps we and our allies and partners implemented in 2014. 
And if Russia goes further with this invasion, we stand prepared to go further as with sanctions. Okay, so up another notch. The president says he's also sending more troops into the Baltics, help defending our NATO countries or NATO allies, promising tougher sanctions. As you just heard, if Putin goes further into Ukraine, it was after that we learned, as Charlie Pellet just mentioned, Secretary of State Antony Blinken canceling the planned meeting for later this week with Sergei Lavrov. So I guess we are done talking. You heard the president today live on Bloomberg Radio. He took no questions, but we have several. And we're joined now by Bloomberg Congress reporter Dan Flatley, who's been covering the sanctions side of this story today. Dan, we thank you for being here. The sanctions target the sale of Russia's sovereign debt. Appear, though, to spare Russia's biggest banks. Are they saving the worst for later? Well, I think it's a question of uh, you do, in some sense, have to keep something in reserve because Mm -hmm. uh, they're watching the situation very closely. Uh, I think that the situation that was contemplated uh, in the weeks leading up to this was uh, tanks rolling into Kiev uh, and a sort of all-out invasion Mm -hmm. that we might expect uh, to see. Um, So what did we get today? I think... We got basically what uh, is a ratcheting up on both sides. So President uh, Vladimir Putin, Russian President Vladimir Putin, sort of uh, increased pressure on the Western allies, on the U.S., to respond with his recognition of these two separatist areas yesterday yeah. and his request to have troops move into those regions today. And what the U.S. has done is basically said, OK, we're going to start rolling out in waves uh, tranches of sanctions. And, and today we saw sovereign debt, which is a big deal, uh, but perhaps not as far as some uh, in Congress wanted to see, and, and also some sanctions on individual banks and individual uh, people in, in Russia. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a sort of a tit-for-tat uh, that we're looking at right now. And the question is, where do we go from here? Thanks to Bloomberg's Dan Flatley being with us on Bloomberg Sound On. We had a new voice to the conversation. Stephen Mull is former U.S. ambassador to Poland And the lead coordinator on the Iran nuclear deal, now vice provost for global affairs at the University of Virginia. Ambassador, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being with us today. Will this new round of sanctions do anything to stop Russia? Well, I I think you have to be pretty pessimistic that they will. The shocking speech that Putin gave last night, basically challenging the right of Ukraine to exist at all as a nation, shows pretty intent that his ultimate objective is to uh, wipe Ukraine off the map as an independent state. Now, uh, these first steps that uh, the Biden administration announced today, I don't think it's going to be enough to turn him back from that. So I think we're going to be looking at, over the next days and and weeks, uh, an incremental move by by Russia to see how far it can get in meeting the objective that uh, Putin has laid out. I I don't know that there's any sanction that the U.S. uh, could impose. Uh, that would would stop them from going all the way through with what uh, Putin has clearly set as his uh, as, as his course. Uh, the Nord Stream pipeline decision by the Germans certainly was uh, uh, was a surprise. I think uh, to Putin that the Germans went along with that. So it, 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 they're gonna, he's going to be testing us moving moving forward in the days and weeks uh, weeks ahead. We heard from Secretary of State, as I mentioned, Antony Blinken, a short time ago on his meeting that had been scheduled for this week with the Russian Foreign Minister. Here's what he said. I agreed to meet Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov this week on February 24th to discuss our country's respective concerns about European security, but only if Russia did not invade Ukraine. Now that we see 
the invasion is beginning and Russia has made clear its wholesale rejection uh, of diplomacy, uh, it does not make sense to go forward with that meeting at this time. Ambassador, I suspect you could have said this yesterday, this morning. Was there a hope going into this day that there might still be a diplomatic path? And does this mean there really is no longer one? We're done talking. Well, you know, or that's certainly how it looks today, Joe. But, you know, if you look at how Russia has operated uh, over the past uh, 20 or 30 years, um, they, they tend to take these steps uh, incrementally. And when the situation turns against them, uh, the door might suddenly open up again for diplomacy. We may remember back in 2008, uh, Russia did something very similar against Georgia. It recognized breakaway two breakaway provinces in Georgia yeah. in, uh, in 2008, sent in the troops to secure them, and then crossed over those borders into the rest of Georgia. Uh, and then when international outrage started building, sanctions began building, uh, the Russians said, oh, OK, we'll, uh, we'll pull back into those two provinces. And they, they drew the line at that. So uh, if these sanctions get to be so painful that it deters uh, Putin from from proceeding, that, that door may open. But I think it's it's pretty <laughs> close, pretty tightly right now. The president says he's sending more troops into eastern Europe. More troops will be arriving in Poland. We already have several thousand there. Uh, as the former ambassador to Poland, I wonder what you make of, of this strategy to reinforce that particular border, having heard uh, from uh, from Jens Stoltenberg last week that this is the new normal for Europe, that this existential threat from Russia is going to be a constant. Ambassador, are we are we doing enough, and are those troops going to stay there? Uh, well, uh, well, well, we'll have to see. I was actually serving in uh, in Poland back in 2014 when Russia invaded Ukraine the, the first time. And uh, having been there, I can tell you our Polish allies were in a, a pretty severe panic uh, that the Russians weren't going to stop uh, at Ukraine, and they needed urgently some uh, reinforcements, some sign. Uh, that the U.S. would honor its NATO obligation to come to Poland's defense if it were yeah. necessary. Uh, that feeling is very much uh, uh, dominant in Poland uh, again today. The Poles are v- really grateful to, uh, uh, to, to have us. We're up to about 9,000 uh, troops there now. We're putting other military hardware into there mm-hmm. as, uh, as well. And we'll watch and wait to see uh, how, it, uh, how, how it plays out. Those troops, I expect, if this does go to a full-scale conflict in Ukraine, those troops are going to be really helpful to the Poles in helping to process. Uh, it's going to be a massive humanitarian crisis. That's the part of this story we're not talking about Ukraine. enough. Uh, a massive uh, refugee crisis, into, uh, Ambassador, is going right. to be Poland's problem. That's, uh, that's right, and the U.S. will be there to help uh, with, uh, with that. If this is the new normal of, uh, let's say, uh, Putin succeeds and takes over all of Ukraine, uh, then we're looking at a new line in Europe that wasn't there before uh, and a pretty hostile tense line uh, on the on the border of NATO directly with uh, with Russia. And we'll also see the three Baltic states virtually cut off uh, from the rest of uh, Europe, except for a hundred mile wide uh, corridor in northeastern Poland. Uh, They'll be completely surrounded by Russia and Belarus. Ambassador, I'm sorry I'm out of time. Do you see Vladimir Putin going all the way to Kiev? It's it's, it's too soon to tell. I I don't see it happening because it seems like it would be a pretty bad strategic mistake for him. Uh, But he's definitely laid the predicate for it. Ambassador Stephen Mull, former ambassador to Poland, lead coordinator of the Iran nuclear deal. A whole other conversation we need to have. 
and now Vice Provost for Global Affairs at the University of Virginia. Thank you for the insights. Coming up, we assembled a panel on Sound On. Jeannie Shanzano is with us along with Boyd Matheson on a historic day in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We must meet the moment and we must not look away. History tells us that looking the other way in the face of such hostility will be a far more costly path. This is uh, straight out of President Putin's playbook. This is the first tranche, the first barrage of what we are prepared to do. Every indication uh, is that uh, Russia continues to plan for a full-scale attack on uh, Ukraine. Washington and Western Europe are really consumed today with Russia's move yesterday to recognize separatists in the Donbas in Ukraine. Today, President Putin has torn the Minsk agreement to shreds. The sounds of war. With the headline on the terminal, Biden ups Russia sanctions, calls Ukraine invasion underway. This after the president said Friday, remember, he believed Vladimir Putin had made up his mind to invade. And it follows word from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin that Russian forces along the Ukraine border were beginning to uncoil. It turns out both were right. And we're trying to unpack everything we've learned since the story really began to take shape yesterday, this new phase of the standoff. Not so much of a standoff anymore. And so we assemble the panel now. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is with us along today with Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff to Senator Mike Lee, Republican from Utah. It's great to have both of you with us. Jeannie, I'll start with the simple question. Will these sanctions do anything, this next layer, if we can call it that, to slow or stop the advance that Vladimir Putin is making in Ukraine? Well, I have to say that Jimi Hendrix music is the right mood, Joe Matthew. <laughs> That's the right mood That's for this not a good thing. sobering time. That's right. You know, in terms of the sanctions, I have to agree with the ambassador. I'm not sure there is anything the U.S. can do at this point to stop Putin from what he envisions vis-a-vis Ukraine. If if sanctions is what is on the what are on the table, I mean, you look at the history of sanctions in our country. They begin in the early 20s century. They heat up in the 1970s. They've never been effective in terms of changing behavior, except in the one case in which your previous guest, Ambassador Mole, was the chief implementer on in the case of Iran. But besides that, we haven't been able to change behavior. We've been able to put a cost on somebody. We'll do that with yeah. Russia and Putin. Yeah. But changing behavior is another matter. And that's probably not in the offing this time, unfortunately. So, Boyd Matheson, why not just pile it on? I know that the administration was reluctant to do something up front. They thought they'd lose leverage. But if if Vladimir Putin's going for it, what are we waiting for? 
Yeah, I, I think Jeannie, Jeannie brings up such a great point in terms of sanctions have never been the big behavior changer that uh, we wish they were. Uh, but if it is going to be, it has to be both united and it has to be significant. One of the things that's been a little interesting to me today is while everyone keeps saying how united NATO is in terms of opposition to Vladimir Putin and what he is doing, they're all acting very independently. Uh, Germany came out and talked about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh, the UK, uh, Boris Johnson talked about things that they were going to do. And so there wasn't this real united front in terms yeah. of this is what we're all going to do. We're all going to step forward together. And this is why it's going to be significant pain now. And then we can ratchet them back if uh, behavior does change. Seems sanctions have become, I guess, bipartisan uh, since the weekend. Even Democrats like Senator Chris Coons this morning were calling on the White House to implement immediate sanctions. Uh, We heard earlier as well from Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader is at home because, uh, you know, the Congress is on recess right now. He talked about this in Kentucky. Here's Mitch McConnell. What's changed since that earlier period is the impression we have left, first with the abandonment of Afghanistan, that America is not interested in playing as large a leadership role as we used to. He was criticizing the Biden administration uh, for allowing this to fester, for implementing policies or ignoring others that that emboldened Vladimir Putin. Boyd, is he right? Yeah, I I think uh, it does empower Putin in in terms of, you know, what he's doing, what he's looking at. And uh, and while these different senators are are weighing in and and giving a, a little bit there. Uh, I, I think we're still missing the, the big thing in terms of what we actually need to do or do differently. Uh, if we're really, again, it goes back to what Jeannie was talking about. The way you change behavior is not yeah. through just these high level things, through oligarchs and uh, some of those things. That, I think also the language matters. Uh, I gave the president high praise last week. Uh, he came out. He was on time. He was sharp. He was forceful. Today's was less so. Uh, It was much more of this, it's the beginning of an invasion, so we'll have the beginning of sanctions. Uh, I don't think that does anything uh, to Vladimir Putin. And remember, Vladimir Putin, uh, he he does this in terms of judo. He's a judo master. In judo, you never win with the big throw. You win by scoring very small points. So he laid the case out to his people. He he now has justification for peacekeeping uh, troops. Uh, not in Ukraine, but in right. these two independent regions. And so he's playing a game of scoring points and moving forward. We're all looking for the yeah. big throw invasion. I don't think that's what's going to come. Jeannie, so what's your take on it from a different way? Thanks. What's your take on President Biden, uh, Jeannie? How, how was his posture? How was his tone today? How did he do? The world was watching when he walked into the East Room. You know, I I thought he could have been more forceful. I I agree with Boyd on that, and I agree with Boyd's assessment on judo. He is absolutely right. That's how Putin plays this, and that's why we're seeing this step yesterday, and he'll continue on that front. Maybe we'll get new judo picks soon or topless equestrian photos from the president of Russia. Jeannie and Boyd, thanks. We'll reassemble the panel a bit later this hour. Next, a conversation with the former senator for Alaska, Mark Begich, here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. One of the more compelling lines from President Biden's address today, once we got past the big news, was when he said we need to be honest about the potential costs for Americans. He knows as well as anyone that crude oil prices, gasoline prices, natural gas prices could move higher and stay higher if this goes the wrong way. Analyst notes today talking about $150 a barrel crude. 
Just one of the economic risks that comes with Russia's move. Risks that also include sanctions. You can't isolate the impact of sanctions as easily as you might think. And this is where we begin with former Alaska Senator Mark Begich, now strategic consulting advisor at Brownstein Hyatt. Senator, it's great to have you here. You're no stranger to the energy industry uh, with obviously being from Alaska. And I wonder how bad you think this is going to hurt. Well, it goes for Alaska. It's kind of a mixed bag, right? Because the higher the oil prices, more revenue. Well, that's right. But for the country, but for the country, it's bad because it means consumer prices are going to go up again. The cost. I mean, here in Alaska, we're for regular, you know, gas unleaded. It's about four bucks, a little shy of four dollars a gallon, mm-hmm. which is fairly expensive. And when you go out to rural Alaska where it's harder to get fuel sources out there, it can be six and a half, seven dollars a gallon. So, you know, it has an impact to everyday people. Now to the state coppers, it adds to it. But, you know, what's more amazing is you think about it, and again, today you're watching all this debate. Uh, You know, I'm biased here, of course, because I think Alaska, with its natural gas line, um, the LNG, uh, this is now the time to build it, depend on our own, quit trying to mess around with Russia, you know, Europe, who now canceled their gas line, at least at Mm -hmm. this point. You know, they'll need sources that are from friendly people, and there's no question the U.S. is, and the LNG plant or LNG gas line in Alaska for the first time ever ever through an independent report shows it economical and cheaper than any yeah. gas uh, in the country. But we got to it has impact. It's going to hurt people. There's a story today. The Biden administration has stopped issuing permits for new oil and gas drilling on federal land. As I read on the terminal, a move that could complicate efforts to tame gas prices poised to top, as you just point out, four dollars a gallon yep. amid the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh Senator, you're a Democrat. Republicans, though, have said that it's it's the, it's President Biden's energy policies that have that have in part emboldened and led Vladimir Putin to this point. Is is that your view? Well, I'm not sure it led Putin to this point, but I would say this, that the Biden administration, when you're going to Saudi Arabia to ask them to, you know, turn the spigots on more is not the is not good uh, domestic policy or international policy from the U.S. We have the resources here. And the biggest complaint I guess I would have is you have the Department of Interior who make, you know, issues these permits and does all that. And their coordination with the Department of Defense should be much higher, especially because oil and gas or energy is a national security issue, period. And the coordination between the two should be much stronger than it is now because if you and I went over to Department of Transfer, Department of Defense and asked them mm-hmm. the question, what do you think? They'd say, well, if we had yeah. more domestic, we could protect our allies. You go to DOI, Department of Interior, and they tell you we want less of it on federal land. So they need to right. get a much more firmer policy that includes – not only climate change is important and all the other issues that are important related to that, but national security for us and our allies. Yeah. Senator, I'd like to ask you about sanctions a little more specifically with regard to what's happening with Russia, Ukraine. Uh, there was a deal they said was on the one yard line. I believe it was Bob Menendez, the senator from New Jersey, who said that he, of course, chairs the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He and his uh, and the ranking member Jim Risch were on national television saying we're, we're about to have a breakthrough. Of course, there was never a deal. Uh, and hearing Mitch McConnell talk about all of this today got me thinking. Let's listen to the, the minority leader who is speaking at home in Kentucky. As this unfolds, let me make it perfectly clear. The toughest possible sanctions plus no Nord Stream 2. Not now, 
Not tomorrow. Not ever. Senator, did this just come down to a matter of timing? It seems like Republicans and Democrats agree that Russia should be sanctioned, that there should not be an invasion of Ukraine. How come Capitol Hill couldn't get it together? Well, because it's Capitol Hill. I hate to say this. As a former member, the the action of inaction is their action, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it does. And that's a problem when you come that close to, to striking a deal. Yes. But part of it is this uncertainty sometimes among members about, well, if we do X, what will happen? And in this situation, I'm a much harder, you know, I would be just saying, say, put the sanctions down, make it clear who's in charge. And, you know, what every time we don't do that, and especially Congress, Congress is generally a lagger, meaning they lag indicators, they lag results. In other words, when the, when the economy needs help, they're late to the game sometimes. When technology is advancing, they're late to the game. And here, here it is again. It's like an MO of Congress. And what they should do in this situation is push the envelope hard, make it clear. What he said today, they should said two weeks ago. You know, get on the show because Putin understands one thing, and that is that kind of decision-making. If you vacillate or wishy-washy, he likes that. He plays it well. You know, for all I know, he maybe maybe short in the market. You know, yeah. making money with his statements. Who knows? Sure. But I wouldn't put anything past them. And uh, but you got to push hard. And if you don't, then they take advantage and they take an inch here and an inch there. <laughs> Sounds yeah, like you really missed the job, job, Senator. Well, I, I miss it on one hand, but I love calling my former colleagues and telling them what I'm telling you right now and saying, what are you doing? But uh, I, I just, you know, Congress has gotten themselves in a position where they, they're they just kind of frozen on many fronts. You can pick yeah. this today and tomorrow it's the budget and next week it could be something else. They just have an inability to make kind of the bold, definitive decisions that the American people need more than ever, especially in this kind of situation. Former Alaska Senator Mark Begich, now with Brownstein Hyatt and here on Sound On. We thank you, Senator, for the insights. $4 a gallon in Alaska. Seven, he said, in some areas. We'll reassemble the panel next. Jeannie and Boyd are with us on the Tuesday edition. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The conventional wisdom says people do not vote on foreign policy issues, right? Will that be the case, though, this year when you consider Russian aggression feeding energy prices? It does become a bigger question. And so we reassemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Boyd Matheson with us today, former chief of staff for Senator Mike Lee. Boyd, I'm sure you know uh, Senator Begich. Now that he's uh, not on Capitol Hill any longer, he speaks freely, which makes it always a fascinating conversation. Maybe you feel the same way sometimes. But 
When you consider $4 a gallon, 5 if you're in California, 7 apparently if you're in parts of Alaska right now, how does this conversation end? I don't think another SPR release, I'm assuming, is going to have you know, a major dent in the, the kind of supply issues that we would be talking about here if there was a major interruption in, in Russia. Yeah, and, and I think that's the, the real challenge for the, for the administration is to, to be in tune with the American people. You heard the president today address that immediately. We're going to try to do what we can to make that as, as least disruptive as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, the, the real key is, you know, because we are actually taking in oil from Russia, that uh, actually gives Vladimir Putin leverage. It spikes up the price, uh, and, and that helps him fund everything that he wants to do. So I, I think voters are starting to, to both feel that because they're feeling it themselves at the pump. But they're also kind of scratching their head saying, well, wait a minute, well, why did the administration you know, take the sanctions off of that pipeline for Germany? Why did they uh, shut down a lot of the, uh, the pipelines and the things that were happening here in the U.S. to make us more energy independent? So those are questions yeah. that the administration is going to have to lay out because people are feeling it. Those pocketbook issues are going to drive 2022, and the administration has to have an empathetic answer uh, to what that means to the American people. There is more to this, of course, Jeannie. There's posture. uh, There's credibility. There's the decisions that Joe Biden is making for the better of the country and and not necessarily keeping, you know, oil prices in mind in the near term here. How do you balance those two when you consider an electorate, you know, that's in and out of this uh, this story, maybe wasn't plugged in to the extent that you were over the long holiday weekend, doesn't know anything about Donetsk? Uh, but they see Joe Biden up there on TV. He's talking about something. That, you know, a lot of this has to do with communication, with messaging. How does that offset rising energy prices in the wake of this kind of move? You know, I, I think interestingly, listening to the president's statement today, he's got to sort of untangle himself from this debate that's gone on between the progressive left on the real need to do things like he did when he first came in of canceling the Keystone Pipeline yeah. and the need to deal with inflation and energy prices. So he's going to have to take steps to show the American public, as he said today he would, that we have an interest in the actions he has taken with the sanctions visa of Russia, but by the same token, he's going to work hard to ensure that we are not impacted with these, you know, increasing energy prices and gas Mm -hmm. prices. And that might be some really uncomfortable conversations about things like you know, dealing with Sarah Bloom Raskin's nomination, for instance, is one thing we hear might be things like dealing with the leasing on federal public lands, renewing the Keystone Pipeline or approving it. Those kinds of conversations he hasn't been prone to have. He may have to have now to show that he's taking steps to deal with this. You know, you cannot have prices on gas seven dollars a gallon in the United States. It's obscene. Well, let's talk about it. You just went there, and that is the Supreme Court nominee. We're not getting one today. The White House has made clear. Uh, But a spokesman did issue a statement saying that the president continues to evaluate eminently qualified individuals in the mode of Justice Breyer. Uh, We're not sure still exactly if there have been interviews. We're not sure exactly what this process has included, Boyd. But we do know that we are going to get an announcement this month. The one line in this statement that seemed important, he looks forward to announcing a nominee this month. How do you work that, knowing that you have a State of the Union one week from tonight? What What's the, the rollout that works in the middle of all this madness? 
Yeah, I, I, if I were the president, I would roll that out uh, right into the State of the Union. Uh, he's already tipped his hand a little bit in terms of saying, hey, this is going to be a positive State of the Union. Yeah. He's promised Democrats that he will really paint a story that is positive for them going into the midterms. Uh, and I think because the president, knowing he was going to nominate a black woman, uh, I think a lot of that vetting process uh, has been long done. So I think they're further along in this process than they might be indicating uh, mm-hmm. to the public. But I think for the president, uh, doing that rolling into the State of the Union, I think would set a really fascinating tone. What does that mean, like on Monday or do it now and give it a few days to breathe? How do you roll in the best the best way possible? You know, I, I like it the day before. Hit it on uh, Monday. Kind of rolling in and, and give him an opportunity to tell that story. You'll have a, a nominee that is going to be very smart. And all of these in kind of that short list are all people who have had some bipartisan support in their nominations to other positions that they've been holding. Yeah. And so there will be enough to say, look, this is bipartisan. Uh, this is good for the country. Uh, and this is part of my vision. Because I think what the president has to do in the State of the Union is he has to paint a vision of this is where we're going, the train's leaving the station, and y'all ought to get on board. Uh, it's going to have to be a very positive, upbeat Joe Biden in the State of the Union. I think having that Supreme Court nominee in the building, in yeah. the gallery, yeah. having just been announced, would be a, a good way to frame that. So you've got this right down to you point up to the First Lady's box, the whole thing. There's the nominee, right? <laughs> That's right. Okay. Jeannie, uh, what do you make of this timing, though? It's just... Unfortunate, you almost feel like uh, the the president might want to buy himself a couple of weeks here. We're doing this in the throes of uh, the invasion of Ukraine, the new Cold War, whatever you want to call it. Conversations day long about sanctions, dealing with our allies, and of course the writing of a State of the Union address. Or or is this? good timing because it changes the subject. February is such a short month for all of us, and especially Joe Biden. I mean, he no promised doubt. to get this out, this nomination out at, by the end of February. I think he's got a, you know, he's committed to that timeline. I think he should see it through. I agree with Boyd. I think Monday makes sense. You know, we've talked about this. I disagree yeah. about having the nominee in the building at that point during the speech. I think the politicization of the Supreme Court has gone. But that's because Wait. the other justices are there, right? Jeannie, was your point. Well, that, that and, and also so I, I do think you nominate her and you put her out there in terms of all her wonderful qualities and you let that sort of rest. I think bringing her into the building for me is a bridge too far, but I, I hear a lot of people talking about that. He's got great names there, but again, I think it's going to be really, really tough for him to go in the midst of this foreign policy crisis and present as positive a message as he otherwise might have wanted to do. I think it's going to have to be a bit sober. We all know what's going on. We're paying the gas prices. We're going to the grocery store. We're seeing these crises. I think he can lay out a vision, but I think he's also got to meet the American public where they are, masked, unmasked, in the midst of crises. I think he's got huh. to be honest about that. Actually, you just brought up a good, uh, a good boy. Does the president wear a mask coming all the way down the aisle until he's in the rostrum? Is it a year too uh, late for that? It might be a year too late for that, uh, but my guess is he probably will uh, yeah. do that. And then uh, I think uh, I, I'm with Jimmy in terms of this shouldn't be a Pollyanna, you know, rose-colored glasses kind of speech. But I do think it has to be a, a call to the American people. Uh, it has to be a cause for, for confidence uh, kind of speech uh, mm-hmm. and doing that. And, uh, of course, the politicization of the court is really – 
the members in that chamber's fault. The reason these nominees are so political is because Congress continues to fail to do its job, and it abdicates authority to the executive branch, which gladly uses it, uh, yeah. and then everything ends up in the court. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've been doing an interesting thing for over 20 years now. I have actually written a State of the Union every year, regardless of who is in office. Oh, uh, but man. I think this is one for the president that uh, this is a cause for confidence moment where he can be both sober and serious, as Jeannie has pointed out, and he also has to invite the American – the American people will do hard things. He yeah. needs to invite them to be part of a story uh, that is a next chapter for the country. I want you to send me your State of the Union, Boyd. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. Jeannie, if you were up there writing the State of the Union for Joe Biden, the State of the Union is – uh, it is the challenge of the century, autocracy versus democracy. <laughs> We've got to make democracy work. And that entails everything from build yeah. back better, passing legislation, everything you've been talking about today. What and is it strong? Is the State of the Union strong? It, the State of the Union is going to be stronger under Joe Biden. That's the message he's got <laughs> to put out there. And I'm with you, Boyd. Wow, I, I feel badly. I've never written a State of the Union, but I'm going to start. <laughs> this is an exercise for the whole class here, Jeannie. That's I think. right. I'm a Adopting this. <laughs> what a great conversation with Boyd Matheson, Jeannie Shanzano. Many thanks to both of you. Boyd, don't be a stranger here on the panel. It's one week from tonight. Jeannie will be there. I will too. Special coverage, State of the Union. I know there's a mass mandate in the House. I just thought, you know, if he's the one guy in the chamber, we'll see. February is Black History Month. We want to hear from Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in black history in 1989, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince win the first rap Grammy for the crossover hit. Parents just don't understand. But the duo, also known as Jeff Towns and Will Smith, were not there to pick up their award. When it was decided that the sole rap award would be announced during the non-televised portion of the Grammys, the hip-hop world boycotted. Smith at the time called the idea of an afternoon award. But it's a slap in the face. While there were critics, supporters of the boycotts thought the stance helped the duo cement what would become decades of success in music, television, and film. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Many thanks, Renita. As we celebrate each day this month, significant moments in U.S. black history, Renita will be back with us tomorrow. We'll be back with the panel as well on another round of the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.